kids, come on up. All right, come on up, everyone. Find a spot to sit. All right, good to have you all here this morning. All right, so this morning, as you've already heard, we're going to be preaching in Psalm 27 as we make our way through Psalms. This is another song. Remember, the Psalms are songs, right? This one was another one written by King David. And today, the children's message is going to be for the older people as well. Is it okay if we include them too? Yeah? Okay, good. So older people, you have to pay attention to this morning. All right? David writes about his desire to be in the place of worship, in God's house with God's people. And he says that he worships with shouts of joy. Shouts of joy. So today... For the rest of the service, when you hear a stirring truth preached, you can feel free to give a shout of joy. All right? Sound good? Anyone ready to shout this morning? All right. A few of the adults. All right. We're going to get there. So we need, I think we need a little practice. So first, let me give you your top three options for shouts of joy. All right? Number one is amen. Two, hallelujah. And number three, praise the Lord. You think you can do those? Okay, let's try them. Everyone shout, amen. Amen. Good. You guys did way better than the older people. Everyone shout, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Good. Everyone shout, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Good. So what we do is when we hear a good truth preached, right, a good truth from God's word, we can give a shout of joy. So we're going to do that a little more. I'm going to say something that's true. Okay, I'm going to make a true statement, and then I want you to shout, amen, after I say it. Okay, you ready for that? Jesus died for our sins. Amen. Nice, I love it. Okay, here's another truth, and this time you shout hallelujah, okay? The truth is, Jesus rose from the dead. Hallelujah. Yeah, all right. And this time, after this truth, you yell, you shout, praise the Lord, okay? Jesus is coming back again. Praise the Lord. Awesome. You guys are doing great this morning. Now we're warmed up. We're ready to go. All right? Um, this is like new territory. <laughs> this is new territory. We're not used to doing this in our church. So you guys can lead us in this charge, right? Shouts of joy. All right? So, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's a caution that comes with this. Okay? There's some warning that we have to be aware of. All right? You should only give a shout of joy with purity of heart. With purity of heart. You know what that means? That means like with good, pure, right uh, motives, right purpose. So it needs to be worshipful, right? It has to be worship of God. That's the reason you have to do it. It's not to impress others, right? It's not because you're more spiritual if you do it than if you don't do it, all right? Now I have another warning. It's a little bit harsher, and so it's more for the adults, all right? A little more straightforward, okay? Don't you dare do it to draw attention glory to yourself, to draw attention to yourself, right? God does not share his glory with another. Don't try to steal the glory of God, right? But we can do it 
David did it. He worshiped with shouts of joy, and we can do that too. If we have a pure heart and right motive, if it's a worshipful offering to God, celebrating the truth that is preached, that is heard. All right? So you ready for shouts of joy this morning? Yeah? All right. So you can go back and keep listening as I preach, and if you hear a good truth, feel free to give a shout of joy. All right? Good. You can go back and have a seat. Thanks. All right, grab your Bible if you would and turn to Psalm 27 as we continue through the Psalms this morning. Uh, This song of David expresses a number of things. It expresses his faith. It expresses his worship. It expresses his prayer of pleading with God. and expresses his great hope. And so those are different categories of songs that we could sing. And so those are things we'll look at this morning. Uh, for those of you who've been here for a little while, you know they usually have outlined with fill in blanks and PowerPoint. Well, sorry, don't have it this morning. Didn't get those to Terry in time with the uh, camping trip this week. So you can take notes. And I'll try to help you with uh, what those are. Catch on with that. Um, Psalm 27, as you heard last week, is a little bit connected with Psalm 26 and that it's an, another expression of love and a desire for the worshipful gathering of God's people. And so that's part of what this psalm is about again this morning. So let's pray and seek God's help. Fathers, we come to your word now. We do ask that you would give strength for the preaching of your word. Ask that by your spirit you would give attentiveness of mind and heart to those who are listening and that you would bring about um, fruitfulness from the preaching of your word and the lives of your people. And so, God, may you do this to the glory of your name. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we'll read through the whole psalm, all of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, It is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. 
I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at is David's faith, verses 1 through 3. David's faith. So at the beginning of the psalm here, David declares his great faith in God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. You can hear his understanding of who God is. You can't declare these things if you don't know them to be true. But David declares it. He knows it's true. David knows his God. He knows the character of God. And he expresses this knowledge of God, who he knows of God to be. Now, along with that, I want you to notice this word, my, M-Y, my. It occurs three times in verse 1, my light, my salvation, my life. So why does David know these things to be true about God? Because it's his God. It's a personal God. He's not a far-off God. God is personal. God is my light. The Lord is my salvation. He is near. He is a father who loves his children and desires for them to draw near to him. Right, James 4a, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God is not a far off distant God. If he is to you, you might not be seeing him rightly. Or you might still have sin in your life that blocks your fellowship with God. God wants to draw near to you as you draw near to him. So David knows the Lord. Right? He's been with God. He's been in his presence. He's worshipped in his house. David has real life experience with God. Not just theoretical experience. David can declare who God is because he knows him, right? God is mine. This is my God, right? So how about for you? How well do you know God? So David here, we see, declares God to be light, right? The Lord is my light. As we read throughout Scripture, light and life are closely tied together, right? In the beginning, what was one of the first things that God created? Let there be light, right? Let there be light, and there was light, Genesis 1, 3. And light then led to life. Living things followed the light. John chapter 1, verse 4 says, In Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Light and life connected. John eight twelve. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Lord is my light. Light tied together with life. When David says the Lord is my light, he's declaring that his life, all of his being, all of who he is, is found in the Lord Jesus, right? In the light. The Lord is my light. 
So light is tied with life, but it also signifies God's presence. Life is found in God's presence, right? Think of the burning bush. Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire. There's light. Out of the midst of a bush, he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Right? There's light. That's the presence of God being made known. Think of the pillar of fire, right, with the nation of Israel as they traveled around in the wilderness. Exodus 14.24. In the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down upon the people. Right? God's presence was shown, was made known to the nation of Israel in the light of the pillar of fire. Consider how things will be in the end, in eternity. Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. And night, this is in the new creation in heaven, and the night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. Right? No need for uh, manufactured light. No need for chandeliers and light bulbs, right? The Lord God will be their light. In eternity, the Lord God is the light. It's the blessing of his presence that gives life, right? This is God's eternal presence that will be yours forever and ever. So when David says, the Lord is my light, he's saying, the Lord is my life, and I have life in God's presence. Second thing is that David declares God to be his salvation, The Lord is my salvation. The Lord himself in the person not only provides salvation, but is salvation, right? The Lord Jesus Christ alone is where salvation is found. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved other than the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's no Jesus There's no salvation. Apart from Christ, there is no hope. There is no hope of salvation. There's no hope of eternal life. He is the source. The Lord is my salvation. And then third, David declares God to be the stronghold of his life. A stronghold is a a fortress, right? It's like a military fortress. It's a refuge. It's a hiding place. It's a place of defense. It's a place of protection and safety. So not only is the Lord Jesus David's life, but he is also his sustainer, his protector, his keeper. Right? He holds him secure and safe from any harm. Now if we consider the circumstances throughout this psalm, we see that David is in troubled times. David doesn't have an easy life happening right here. Look at the difficulties facing. Verse 2. Evildoers are attacking him to consume him. He has adversaries and foes coming against him. Verse 3. He has an army that's surrounding him and they're ready for battle. Ready to destroy him. He's on the brink of war. So David was in trouble here. David knew trouble. He knew darkness. David knew the darkness of his own sin. He knew the darkness of the sin of others around him. But David also knew light. 
right? He knew of God's forgiveness and salvation for him. He knew of worship in God's house with God's people. He knew of the safety and protection provided by God. The Lord is my stronghold, the stronghold of my life. And so in the midst of these difficulties, David had great faith. He has confidence in his God. He knows him well enough. He knows this God who is his very life. So do you have this type of confidence in the Lord? Do you know him this well? Would your life show forth a life of unwavering faith and trust in the Lord? And so then also in verse 1, David presents, presents two rhetorical questions, right? Whom shall I fear? And similar, of whom shall I be afraid? Right? Since I know it is true that God is my light and God is my salvation and God is the impenetrable stronghold, fortress of my life, whom shall I fear? And of course, the answer is no one, right? Of whom shall I be afraid? Why should I be afraid? I'm not. There's no need, right? Verse 3, David says, my heart shall not fear. I will be confident. This is David's faith because he knows his God. He's been in his presence. He knows who his God is. And so there's great faith. Those circumstances around him don't look so good. Unwavering faith. David has a faithful confidence without fear because he knows the Lord. He knows who God is. He knows how God acts. David has faith over and above any fear. Right? Faith before fear. So I wonder, what causes fear in your life? What are you afraid of? Are those things bigger or stronger than our God. So you can have the same faith, the same confidence that David had. But it's not tied up in how much faith you can muster up, how much you can scrape together. It's dependent on who your faith is in. Right? So do you know the Lord Jesus well enough to have this confidence of faith? Do you know God so much that you have this faith? Do you know him as your light and your salvation and the stronghold of your life? Do you know him in this way? God makes himself known to his people as we seek after him. So we'll see as we go through the psalm how we get there. David will give us some information in his psalm for that. So first we see David's faith. Second, we see David's worship. David's worship in verses 4 through 6. So he talks about this tent, this temple, this house. So let's consider, what is this shelter or tent? Well, on our youth camping trip this week, we slept in tents. And the first night, it poured rain pretty hard most of the night. Many of the tents ended up with some water in them. Becca even slept in a puddle, right? Yeah, that's fun. But that's not the kind of tent David is talking about here. The Lord's tent, the Lord's covering for you is perfect. It has no leaks. <laughs> All right? So David uses words such as tent, house, temple, shelter here in these verses. These are all referring to the place of 
worship. The place of worship signifies God's presence being there, right? And so when you see these words, this is the place that God chooses to reveal himself to his people, the place of finding God's presence, being with him. And so this is where David says, I want to dwell there all the days of my life. I want to be in God's presence with God's people. That's the place I get to know God. That's the place I get to draw near to him. And so he's doing two things. He's asking for it. Verse 4, one thing I have asked of the Lord. So he's praying, God, bring me back there. Right? Get me to the house of God. Get me to be with God's people so that I can be in your presence. So he's asking for it. He's praying for it. And then he's seeking after it. He's taking action in that. He's pursuing after it. So again, in this tent, in this house, in this shelter, is the place of God's presence where there's safety and protection and covering from God. So David wants to be there. He wants to dwell there. He also wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To consider the Lord Jesus to be beautiful. David wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. He wants to see and experience the majesty of God that we sung about. He wants to experience that all the more. He longs to worship among God's people gathered together. Now notice in verse 4 the first two words. One thing. One thing. Thing. The item of greatest importance was for David to be in God's presence. This is the main pursuit of his life, to be in intimate fellowship with the Lord, right? To be in his presence, to have that intimate connection of relationship with God himself. So David's greatest desire was to know God and experience God's working in his life. So is this your main pursuit in life above all else? Or do you allow other interests and other desires and other things to come in and block that? We see here in David's worship, that he offers sacrifices in God's presence. These were made looking forward to the ultimate sacrifice of the Son of God once for all. That's what the Old Testament sacrifices were for, was to point people to Christ, to help them to have faith in Christ. Hebrews 9.26 says, But as it is, Christ has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. David has faith for worship and saw beyond the the physical, beyond the animal that was being sacrificed. He sacrificed the animals in anticipation of the true and final sacrifice of the Son of God on a cross, bearing all of his sin and the sins of the world. David worshiped, right? He made sacrifice in God's presence. He was looking ahead to the Messiah, the Savior who is coming. That was the source of his faith, the source of his strength, and the source of his worship. Notice how David worshipped. The type of worship David offered was joyful and unashamed. 
joyful and unashamed. There was shout of joy. Right? The goodness of God allows us to be joyful worshipers even in the midst of this evil world. We can have joy in our worship. Do you? Do you have joy in your worship? Do you come into the sanctuary every Sunday morning just joyful, ready for worship, ready to praise God, ready to be with God's people, ready to hear his word preached? Is that how you approach worship? Are you a joyful worshiper? Or are you a reluctant worshiper? Afraid to lift your voice, afraid to lift your hands. David was joyful. He was unashamed. Right? When he came in with the, the ark, right, what did he do? He danced without his clothes on. He was unashamed. He didn't care. He was worshiping his God. Right? I'm not suggesting that here. But get at David's heart. See David's heart. See his heart for his God. He knew God. Do you know God like that? Do you know the joy of his presence? Come into his presence with thanksgiving and joy and true worship, unashamed of your God. Right. Notice what David says next, the end of verse 6. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So how often do you sing a song of praise to God? Right? Obviously, there's singing praise, praises here together corporately. We do that as part of our worship service, right? And that's a good thing. How about in your home? How about at work or school? How about while driving in the car? You sing a song of praise. Do you have a mind towards God, even in those situations. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So there's the word, right? And then singing, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Does that describe you? Do you worship like that? Having God's word in your mind, meditating on it all day long. Worshiping with a, a song, a melody in your mind or on your lips. Right? Worship. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. When we know God, when we know God, and we know his great salvation, we can worship joyfully in song and with our lives. So we see David's faith. We see David's worship. Next we see David's prayer. David's prayer, verses 7 through 12. And David starts here with a pleading. A pleading. Look at verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Right? This is a pleading with God. David is putting forth his plea for God to actually listen to him and to actually do something. Right? Again, troubled circumstances. Right? David didn't want that trouble. He had faith to trust God through it. But he also had faith to cry out to God, hear me, God, hear my prayer. Do something about this situation. Do you cry out to God like that? 
Do you plead for him to hear you and to act on your behalf? There's plenty of trouble in this world. You personally experience plenty of trouble, even on an individual basis. David pleads that God would hear him. He cries out, be gracious, answer me. This is what I need most in my life right now. I'm lost and helpless without you, God. Come and act on my behalf. Come and meet with me. Come and work in my life. So David pleads. He cries out to God in prayer. And God responds to David's plea, right? What's his response? Seek my face. Seek my face. Pretty simple, right? God doesn't say, sure, I'll come and I'll do whatever you want. Right? He doesn't say, David, be quiet. I'm, I don't have time for you. He says, David, seek my face. Right? Seek my face. What does it mean to seek God's face? It simply means to seek his presence, to seek to truly know God, to know God and be found in him. Right? It means to pursue an intimacy, a relationship with your heavenly father. And again, some of you believe that God is far off and uninterested in you. But that's simply not true. Philippians 4, verse 5 says, The Lord is at hand. He's right there with you. The Lord is near. Right? His desire is for you to know him, to seek to know who he is, to spend time in his presence. Your greatest need is for God's presence in your life. Right? Your greatest need is for God's presence, for God to be present in your life, for you to be in fellowship with him. In times of trouble, when you feel things crashing in on you, your greatest need is to know God in his presence. When you're frustrated with things at work, you need to know God experience his presence with you. Kids, when you're upset with your parents, you need to know God and him with you. Right? When you're being attacked and insulted, you need to know God. When you're feeling depressed and not sure where to turn, you need to know God. You need to seek after his presence. When you're feeling all alone as if no one sees, no one cares for you, you need to know God. Seek his face. You need to know his presence with you, for his protection and his care over you. But of course, it's not only in times of trouble. This is what David's dealing with here, times of trouble. It's not only in that time, but it's for all times, right? Psalm 105, verse 4 says, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Continually, all the time, in all circumstances, seek his presence. Again, let this be your top priority. Cry out to God for his presence in your life. All right? God gives this divine invitation to his people to seek after his face, to know him. Seek to know him intimately. All right? Philippians 3 verse 8, Paul says, I count everything as loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
number one priority, right? Seek God's presence. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, In your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. Jump very joyful. Go seek after God. He's going to give you joy. His presence, you knowing him, will bring joy into your life. Come into God's presence. He desires to make himself known to you. He's given you his word to seek after him. He's given you godly people surrounding you to engage with and fellowship with that you might know him more. This is God's desire that you would know him. Isn't it mind-boggling that God, the Lord of all, would invite you to know him personally and intimately? That blows my mind. Our great God, the God of the entire universe, wants to know me. He wants to know you personally. He wants you to know him personally and intimately. What other king what other world leader, what other person of great influence has given you such an invitation? But here it is from God Almighty. Seek my face. Come to know me. I want to make myself known to you if you just come. Seek after me. So then how do you respond? We see David's response here, right? Your face, Lord, do I seek. David's willing to engage. He wants to go after the Lord. He wants to know him more and more. David was committed to knowing God. He knew living in the presence of God, living in true fellowship with God was the best place anybody could be. I want to dwell there all my days. That's where I want to be. There's no better place. David even later in Scripture, commanded his son Solomon to do the same thing. End of David's life, he's kind of commissioning Solomon. First Chronicles 28.9, here's what David says. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart, with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. If, right? There's a, is that a clause? There's a clause there. If, if you seek him, he will be found by you. Why could David say this so confidently to Solomon? Because he knew it to be true. He had experienced it himself. David had sought after the Lord and found him found him faithful, found him good, found the blessing of his presence. So how about you? Have you found him in that way? Do you continue to seek after God and find him more and more? Do you find him to be true and faithful and good in all things? Do you live with a mindset of, your face, Lord, I will seek And then next in David's prayer, we, we read some of his requests, right? He begins to make some further requests of God. Verse 9, hide not your face from me. So seek my face. Your face, Lord, I do seek. Hide not your face from me. A hidden face would indicate God's disapproval, right? His, his anger. It would be to remove his 
presence, to remove his fellowship, to put distance there, right? To there be hindrance in the intimacy of this relationship. Simply put, it would be God's rejection, him turning his face away. So David again pleads, don't hide your face from me. Don't hide your face from me, O God of my salvation. I have no other hope. It's God alone who saves. Right? David says, cast me not off, forsake me not. Right? Don't turn away from me, God. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13. Seek my face and my presence will be with you always. And then in verses 11 and 12, David is praying. He's praying, I want to know you, God, more than anything. Don't allow me to be taken away from your presence. Right? David had literal enemies drawing him away from the place of worship, drawing him away from God's presence. What is there in your life that takes you away from God's presence? What takes you away from fellowship? with him? Well, first and foremost, it's your own sin. Right? So you must deal with that first. You must come to Jesus Christ in faith. You must continually work to put your sin to death. Right? But then in addition, there's all kinds of distractions. All kinds of things that would pull you away from the Lord. Right? What are those for you? Parents. You have to be willing to fight for this in the lives of your kids, right? You have to fight for it. There's lots that will pull them away. What things come before your kids to pull them away from seeking to know God and his presence? Is it a busy family schedule? Is it technology and screen time? Is it ungodly curriculum in their education? Is it the idolatry of sports? Is it certain peer groups? You must fight for godly influence in the lives of your kids. Now, some people will think you're being strict. Some people will even think your kids are weird. Who cares? Who cares? So what? Do what's right before God. Do what's helpful for your kids. Do what's in their best interest in an eternal relationship with Christ. And if somebody doesn't like it, whatever. Do the right thing. Fight on their behalf. Right? Because the things they learn now will carry with them throughout their life. Fight for that in their life now. Put your kids in a position to be in the presence of God. Teach them to seek after him. So we see in these verses that the presence of the Lord brings some things. The presence of the Lord brings first comfort to those who have been abandoned, verse 10, right? Now the wording here for David, it says, for my mother and father have forsaken me. The wording is more like if it were to happen. If it were to be that my parents would forsake me, then the Lord would take me in. Okay, that's more the context. But the presence of the Lord brings comfort to those who have been abandoned. So if you've been abandoned, seek the Lord. 
The presence of the Lord brings vindication to those who have been falsely accused in verse 12. Have you been falsely accused? Seek the Lord, right? The presence of the Lord brings stability to those who are facing enemies, verse 11. Do you have enemies? Do you have those who put obstacles in your path? Do you have those who work to oppose your Christian faith? Seek the Lord. Right? Learn from his teaching. He will level your path. As we take note of David's prayer here, notice that he's not just asking to be saved from his enemies, right? He's praying to truly know God and be in the presence of God, right? This is our salvation. It's not just an escape from hell, but it's to know God, right? John 17, 3, Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they, people, know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is eternal life, to know our God. Do you know God like this? Do you pray like this? Do you seek after God like this when you pray? So we've seen David's faith. We've seen his worship. We've seen his prayer. Next, lastly, we see David's hope. David's hope. Look at verse 13. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He's saying this. He's just surrounded by enemies who are trying to kill him, right? Right? Remember that? And he's saying, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He has confidence in God. The goodness of the Lord here, though, is Jesus Christ himself, right? Jesus was David's only hope, and he had confidence in seeing Christ the Messiah, the coming Messiah. Jesus is our only hope as well, right? And if you are in Christ through faith, you too can look upon him, can look upon the Lord, right? This happens in the land of the living, right? Certainly on this earth. That's probably most directly what David was referring to, but it happens ultimately in eternity, in heaven, right? To look upon the Lord, to gaze upon him. David had a confident and sure hope of eternal life. Even if these enemies do come and kill me, I'm still with the Lord. I'm still going to look upon him. I'm still going to be in God's presence, even if this physical life ends, right? But that's only possible because of what Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection. And then verse 14 gives us something that we don't like a whole lot, do we? Wait. What? Wait. Who likes to wait? Wait in the line for groceries, checkout, right? Wait at a stoplight. Wait for supper to come. We don't like to wait, do we? <laughs> a non-amen there. Wait for the Lord. David, wait for his coming. Church, Wait for his return, right? Titus 2.13, we are to wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's coming. This would be a good time for an amen. Shout out joy. Jesus is coming, all right? But in the meantime, wait. 
wait. In this time of waiting, though, we are to be strong and be encouraged because of this great hope that we have, because we know the truth. God tells us in his word that Christ is coming back, right? That's our great hope. That's the blessed hope that we have. And so we can wait with joy. We can worship with joy because we know what's happening. We know Christ is coming to redeem us fully and finally and completely, where we'll be in his presence forever and ever. That's our hope, right? But in the meantime, we wait. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not, do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Right? God's presence. So we wait, but we can be strong and courageous because the Lord is with us. He is present with us. God's presence gives courage. So if you're lacking courage to freely live a faith-filled life, you need to understand more and more of the presence of God with you. Right? He is your courage. So how do you do that? You seek after his face. You grow in your knowledge of God. You understand his love and care for you more and more. And then you courageously take steps of faith, action, and he will prove his faithfulness to you. We see this hopeful waiting upon the Lord throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, Israel, the nation of Israel, was waiting for the Messiah. Those of faith seeking the face of God were blessed in God's presence as they waited for the Messiah. There was a time of 400 years of waiting between the old, last Old Testament prophet and Christ's coming, right? A quiet time of waiting, 400 years for the nation. When Jesus came in the flesh, we see that those who were waiting for the Savior were blessed in the presence of God-made man. Think of Simeon and Anna in the temple, Right? Think of the wise men who came to seek him out and others. But now for us, now we wait for the return of Christ our Savior who will come and make all things new. He'll bring us into the eternal land of the living and the fullness of the presence of God forever and ever. Hallelujah. All right? This is God's eternal purpose in sending his son. This is why your sin needs forgiveness so you can enter into the presence of God. He brought you near by the blood of Christ. Doesn't thinking upon these things help you to be strong and courageous in your faith? So wait upon the Lord with great hope, but do it actively. Wait actively, seeking after God. Look into the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek to know him. Seek to find your strength and your courage and your freedom in him. Wait expectantly and actively seeking the face of our Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we do cry out to you in all the times of trouble and hurt and pain that is real in our lives in this world. God, we do ask that you would be gracious to us, that you would answer us in these things. And yet, God, we know that you just desire for us to be in your presence. That is the best place for us to be. So help us to be a people who seek your face, God, who seek to know you, who long to be in your presence, who long to worship with 
your people in your house. Help us to worship with joy, unashamed of our God. So God, stir these things within us. Work these things within us that we might live more faithfully in this troubled world. But God, we also know that this life is a preparation for the life to come. So God, give us great joy and courage and strength now that that would prepare us as we think ahead to an eternity to come where for all of time, forever and ever, we'll be in your presence seeing you and knowing you more fully than ever before. God, let this be our great hope. We praise you in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So the charge this morning is this. Seek the Lord. Right? Seek the Lord. Do it with your, by yourself, individually, with the Lord, and do it with others. Seek the Lord. Spend time with him. Get to know him more and more. May the Lord be your light and your salvation that you would not fear. May the Lord be the stronghold of your life that you would not be afraid. And may you seek the Lord in his strength. May you seek his presence continually. Amen. Have a wonderful week in the Lord.